You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. So today I'm incredibly excited to bring on Tim and Amy on the show just to share this idea of designing a life that you can get excited about and embracing, instead of running away from the word retirement, embracing the word retirement, their enthusiasm and zest for life came through when Brad and I met them at FinCon last year. And their background is fascinating as well. A divorced couple, they met in 2008, have been married for the last 10 years, and they were spending $115,000 a year, no idea where it was going. And then basically as a, had this light bulb moment, and immediately got on this abbreviated path to FI, drastically cut their lifestyle down to sub $40,000 a year, and now have retired and been retired for two years and are living a life that is just, it's exciting just to watch and see where they go with this. So I'm incredibly excited about this episode and to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well, Jonathan. Yeah, this should be a really fun episode. And, and I totally agree with you that the thing that comes across when you meet Amy and Tim is just their, their zest for life. It was a, a real close horse race between the two of them and Fritz from the retirement manifesto for just the people who were so excited to be at FinCon. And it was just so cool to meet them and to see their enthusiasm and to get to learn a little bit of, about their story and to hear the backstory and how they're using travel rewards, especially to really travel the world at a level that I haven't seen. So it's uh, a very, very cool story in store for us here. And with that, Amy and Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you so much. That was the best intro ever. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, you are absolutely welcome. We like to do solid intros. I love it. What a good way to kick it off. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and set the stage here. Tell us a little bit about where you were individually back in 2007, 2008, when you met. Tell us a little bit more about your spending habits and kind of what you each brought to the financial table or from a financial acumen, frugality perspective. Sure. And actually, I think we'll probably both carve a little bit of this question out because we came obviously as two individual adults. I'll get started though. We met in 2006 online on on an online dating site. And when we met, Tim's way of showing affection was extravagant gifts. As a matter of fact, our very first gift he gave me, I had met, I lived alone in a house and I felt a little vulnerable living alone in a, a house by myself. So I mentioned that I would like some mace. He said, I'll t- I'm on that. So for our very first Christmas, he got me two kinds of mace, not just one, two maces, one for my purse and one for my nightstand. And that's the kind of, so Tim would buy multiples of things. So he bought me a digital I video. I was praying she didn't mace me. <laughs> <laughs> He bought, a, he bought a, a digital photo frame uh, the next Christmas. It didn't arrive in time for Christmas. He went out and bought another one so that I had one to open up. So I had two digital photo frames that I never used. So that's how we started as a couple was through extravagant sorts of things. And then, I mean, in the big picture, it wasn't huge money. But when you add those up, it adds up. But I was a pretty good saver my entire life. So even though I had spent a lot, I was a commissioned salesperson for most of my career and I would often live on the my salary and save all of my commission. So I had owned my car outright. I had my own house. So I was doing some things right, and as was Tim. But there was a lot of big spending, mindless things when we met. Yeah, when we were spending one hundred fifteen thousand dollars a year, we were we thought we were frugal when we were spending that much money. So we didn't do a lot of the things that uh, I think when you have a decent income that other people were doing. So I used to, when Amy and I met, I was living in a townhome that I bought after we uh, got divorced, which we actually live in now. And then we bought a home together. This house was in a very nice neighborhood. And so one of the things that Amy and I used to talk about regularly is we don't want to keep up with the Joneses. And so even though we were sort of keeping up with the Joneses just by virtue of moving into this house, in the context of our neighborhood, we weren't keeping up with the Joneses. So even though we spent a lot of money, we didn't think we were. 
So Tim, it comes through just from what Amy is saying that if we were going to break this down into love languages, gift giving is a form of your love language. And I guess the question is, how does that end up becoming a piece of your financial puzzle? When you come into this relationship with Amy and you're building this new life together, did all of the spending habits from the past come into this new marriage? Uh, yeah, I'd say it probably did. So as a matter of fact, when Amy and I first got together, I was living in a townhome that I bought after I was divorced. And so we did most of our activities at Amy's house. So uh, my three kids and I lived in a two-bedroom townhome. And so our first Christmas at Amy's house, we bought presents or I bought presents for the children that like stacked up to four feet high. Like our knees. And so it was it was a ridiculous uh, amount of spending that I did. And so uh, like Amy said, that's how I expressed myself in terms of, um, I guess that would be my love language was spending money. And so I would do it with the children. I would do it with Amy. Also, one of the things that Amy's asking me about is, is the, 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 Amy's giving me the hairy eyeball, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, Do I need the um, video in order to pull this off? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's right. So one of the things that she's asking me to talk about also is I've used Quicken since the time I graduated from, from college. And so I've tracked my spending forever. And so I've always been a good saver and I've, we've always lived, and this is even before we were together. I think we both lived well within our means. And so we've always thought we were doing really well along this path. And so even though we were spending a lot of money, we were saving a lot of money, we didn't buy extravagant things, or at least we thought we didn't buy extravagant things. However, certainly there were things that we did that would be certainly extravagant in the context of how we live our lives today. One of those would be this Christmas where we spent a lot of money. The funny thing is, is that that Christmas where I bought all this stuff for Amy as we were going through the downs for my children and Amy, as we were going through this downsizing exercise, we found multiple presents in the kids' closets. This was six years, seven years after Amy and I met. And we were doing this downsizing that had never been opened from that Christmas. And so like the wrapping uh, was off, the but wrapping, the cellophane, the, 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 these toys had never been played with yeah. or opened. So, wow. Um, that is a really stark, eye opening picture of kind of sure was. at what point <laughs> is enough too much? Yeah, that's yep. an excellent question. Like I said, and I, I, I know I keep going back to this, but we didn't think we were extravagant because we were able to save so much and live within our means, as we would say. And I used to buy things. So I, I'm, I like gadgets. And so I'd buy a gadget, $200 gadget. I'd play with it for a few weeks and then it would go on the shelf. Tim was the guy who would get the newest phone. He was that guy. And again, Amy used to tease, you don't need that. And I'm like, well, it, it, it fits in our budget. Or Actually, what you'd say is, I, I, what did you I say? Work I work hard. So it's like, I, I work hard. I deserve these <laughs> I things. I deserve this. That's right. And now I don't miss those things at all. So those things are sort of gone from our lives. And so it's, um, there were silly indulgences that I don't miss one iota. Tim, I'm curious. So you're describing that you thought you guys were doing well. And you were. You were making a nice income. It sounds like you were saving money though obviously not at the same level from when you discovered Phi. But going back, do you have a sense of, of what your savings rate was, let's say in 2006 or immediately prior when, when you met Amy? And also in reading your blog, it sounded like you tracked every penny that came in and out of your life. So it sounds like you were up on finances, just you didn't have that sense of, of the ultra saver. So I'm curious just to hear a little bit about your tracking and also about your savings rate immediately prior to 2006. Yeah, I would say our savings rate was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20% of what we were earning. I'm not exactly sure what the savings rate would have been. So I saved in my 401k. I maxed out my 401k every year that I worked. When Amy and I sort of started coming around to the the five model, I think we were you were saving all of your income, the, the whole everything you made, right? So where we ended when I did go back into the workforce, we saved one hundred percent of my income. But at the beginning, I, so the answer is, so even though we've tracked every single penny since Tim's out of college, we actually don't know our savings rate, and that's actually a, a pretty maybe we should go figure that out. <laughs> Do you have a blind <laughs> You've been spot? Asked many times. Yeah. So I don't know the percentage we were saving. So and this is again, this sort of falls into all. All we knew is that the savings account was continuing to grow. Our 401k was continuing to grow, except in 2009 when it shrunk by half. But it continued to grow. It continued to grow. And we were doing well. And so a large part of that was driven by we had good incomes. And so I guess what really, when we sort of moved to the FI model, what sort of became clear to us is how much we spend. So we were on a path to retire 
roughly in 2025, in 2025. That's what we were looking to do and maintain a spending level that was pretty consistent with that $115,000 number that we talked about earlier. So that was our plan. We were saving towards that and we'd made some assumptions about the market, et cetera. When we found FI, what we realized is, well, we have a nice bucket of money in the bank right now. If we cut our spending drastically, maybe we can leave our work now. And so when we made that realization, we sold our house, we sold uh, our car. That's when we really buckled down and realized that how important the spending was to the to the overall picture of, of what we planned to do. So that was the light bulb moment, right, is finding FI and understanding that spending really drives that retirement age. Is that is that what I'm hearing? From both of us, a huge yes. So what we realized is it didn't matter what our income was. It, it didn't really matter so much what our savings was. What really mattered was what our spending was. And the more we got that down, the closer we saw our retirement and the happier we became. That was the big surprise. But so if it weren't for the incomes that we had, we certainly wouldn't have, have had the money in the bank that, that allowed us to be where we were. So if you're spending $115,000 a year and you're making $115,000 a year, that math doesn't work. So our income is really what gave us the ability to be where we were, but we were going to be working another 10 or 15 years if we hadn't have found FI. So maybe even longer, depending on what had happened with the market. And we would not have needed those big incomes had we made smarter choices earlier. That's right. Well, you're both where you are, where you are. But I guess what I'm curious about is, for whatever reason, tracking spending and understanding that it is spending that drives the retirement equation, that isn't like a natural conclusion that people come to. In fact, when you go to every single major financial website and look at calculators that they host, it's all based around income, how to replace your income, how to replace your income. And so for you specifically, what was it that got you to reorient from replacing your income to looking at your spending and then making the choice to decrease your spending? You hit the nail on the head. So yes, we have agreed. We are now evangelical about it's about the spending. And there was a an aha moment for us. We went to visit with a life insurance salesperson. And in that conversation, he asked each one of us, would you go back to work immediately if your spouse were to pass away? and to be able to maintain your life. So we had our answers and I answered, no, I don't want to have to go back to work in two weeks to support this giant house. In that conversation, we learned about the 4% rule. So he asks, okay, well, what, what are you spending now? And what's it going to take to bridge that gap for the rest of your life? That 4% rule allowed us for the very first time to understand our fine. What number do we need? We knew we wanted to retire earlier than, than 65 or 70. We knew we wanted to retire early. We had no idea. Did we need 2 million, 200 million? We legitimately had no idea. So that conversation gave us the number that we were going to need to maintain our $115,000 spending. Well, what we did with that is we broke it into a spreadsheet of 13 years broken down month by month. So we had 156 boxes of 13 years times 12 monthly boxes. And at the end of every year, we showed to be on track to get this number where we would need to be at the end of each of our 13 years. And by the way, our meetings were in our closet. So that gives some idea of where our, how big our life used to be is that we used to have meetings in the closet. So we meet in the closet and we track our progress every single month. And what we realized is that we weren't having a focus on frugality or, or downsizing. We were just focusing on maintaining our $115,000 of spending. But because we were paying such attention to it, we found that by month six, we had already hit our two-year goal. By month 10, we were at our year three goal. And then what we realized is because our spending had scaled back so much that that bottom 13-year huge number didn't need to be so huge anymore. Three years after that whole exercise, we were done. Yeah. And so the, the math obviously became more obvious to us, just like Amy was saying, when this, when we built this chart, I think what moved us down the FI path was we made this trip to Europe and we hustled around Europe. We, we only went to, uh, we went to London and to Paris. It was about a 10 day trip, seemed very hurried. We got back home and we realized we really want to do this on a slower pace. We, we love to travel. We also, as soon as we got back, we went back to work. And so there was this, we don't want to do this. And so 
shortly after that, we found a couple of things that sort of moved us down the fast path. And so that was, I think we found Mr. Money Mustache. We found minimalism, which we are not minimalist, but uh, they get, they have some messaging that we really like. As we found these guys, I think that shortly after that, so Mr. Money Mustache happens to live here in Colorado close to us. And so we went up to Pete's place in Longmont. He had a picnic. And at that picnic, we found out about uh, who Mad Scientist. We found out about uh, Go Curry Cracker. Started reading some of the stuff that they put together. And I remember one night, I think it was right after that picnic, I started running the numbers. I stayed up like half the night. I woke Amy up at five o'clock in the morning and I said, we can be done now if we just start making some of these changes. And so shortly thereafter, we I think within the next year, we put our house on the market and uh, we started selling our stuff and getting rid of our stuff and making this move towards a, a more frugal life. Brad, it strikes me as I'm hearing this, like this is the ultimate decision. We spend so much time talking and honestly, I think we've actually tried to balance this out, but talking about, is it going to be the 4% rule or the 4% rule of thumb? And you know, how do you know that you're not leaving the workforce too soon? I think there's a very real risk in staying in the workforce too long, working that one more year at a job that you're not enjoying, that doesn't inspire you when you don't need to. I mean, the reality is life opens up so many more options when you're pursuing something that you're passionate about especially when you have a financial runway. And that is the most valuable night of your life. I mean, you literally just went all in. You did the math and you said, I think we can make these changes and be done now. Like, Brad, isn't that inspiring? Yeah, it's astounding. And it it really points to the value of looking at your expenses. We've been talking about this the entire podcast and in many prior shows, expenses drive everything. And sure, they were on this lovely path to FI, It sounds like if I'm just doing the back of the envelope math fairly early, as opposed to conventional people by 2025, you would have been younger than 60, I imagine, which, which is great. But you realized, Hey, if we can just be more optimized, we can retire now, right? That is truly remarkable. Yes, you've got it. And that life optimization turns out the optimization of our life turns out to be one of the most fun, enjoyable things we've ever done. Yep. So there's this perception that somehow being frugal is you're deprived and our life now is better than it's ever been. So our life of less spending is 20 times more full than it was when we were spending $115,000 a year. And I heard it come through in that phrase that you said earlier. You said, I deserve this new gadget because I work so hard. I mean, that's the hamster wheel that I get so fired up about. That is like this perverse incentive. And at the same time, it's keeping you trapped in something. And I'm wondering, you know, when you really think about your work, obviously you had good salaries. I mean, it comes through on just how quickly you were able to write the ship, but you chose to walk away from this great salary. So clearly at some point you have to say that money is not the ultimate carrying card. I mean, that isn't the ultimate thing that you're after. If that were it, then you could say, all right, well, you know, I have a great salary. I have a great job. I could work at another 10 years. I'm potentially in the highest earning time of my life. These earning years are years I will never get back. Like, did you have to weigh the pros and the cons? And like, what did that communication look like between you and Amy? Yeah, absolutely. We had to weigh the pros and cons. And so when we left our work two years before we left were the two highest earning years we'd ever had as a couple or the two highest earning years we'd ever had as individuals. That is not Not, for not, not not for Amy, but for me, I had had the two highest earning years I'd I'd ever had. And so part of the decision-making also for us was it was about our health. And so part of what we want to do with our new freedom is we love to travel. And so we figured in another 10 or 15 years, we may not be able to do that, at least in the the way we want to do it now. And so if we didn't have our health or if our health continues to go downhill, this isn't going to work for us. And so uh, I think our our health as well as our mental health as well as our, our physical health those things certainly weighed into, we want to make this move now versus later. And so m- money certainly not the the end-all be-all. It's, uh, it's about freedom. And so having our freedom is um, more important to us than having more money in the bank and certainly more than spending uh, what we were spending. Amy, I'm curious. We're always talking here about actionable tips and what real people, and in this case, there are couples listening to you trying to get on the path to FI. And I'm curious, actually, most especially about that chart that you had with 156 different boxes. I understand you obviously expedited it way past the the 12 years, but do you feel that that was a useful tool to help you and Tim get on the same page 
And did you also find that in some way it helped with this exponential increase to actually tangibly cross off boxes of, hey, we've done that? And how we were giddy to cross those boxes off. Like I said, because we we were so far ahead of our projected goals. I mean, that's a great thing. So so when we're doing our activity, so we do our monthly budget activity now and we look at every single penny we spent. It's a joy. So we've been fortunate that even though we both came to our relationship to spending, somehow the universe just worked its magic and we got to the frugal mindset together at the same time. So one of us didn't have to sell the other one on it. So I know with a lot of couples that we speak with, that's not always the case. I recognize that we're extremely fortunate that we are on the same page and have always been on the same page. And that really helps. But that exercise for both of us was something that we looked forward to now, as a matter of fact, so Tim, we do our, like I said, we do our monthly budget, our monthly money tracking every single the first week of the next month. And it takes a couple of days for last month's numbers to flush out. I'm really antsy. As soon as like the first or second day of the month happens, I want to see what our spending looked like last year. And Tim's like, hold on, like or the expenses haven't come through yet. So hold your horses. So when we're at the point where we are now, it's actually really exciting to look at our money and it's exciting to look at our progress. And it was exciting when we were on that path in the closet because things were going in a good direction and we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's so funny that you have this chart because I had a chart too that I loved to use when I was paying down my six figures of student loan debt. Now, I have a feeling your closet was larger than the room that this was hosted in <laughs> uh, <laughs> based on what you're saying. But I remember that and it's it, like each time you go and you check off a box that maybe represents a paycheck or a pay period or something else. For me, it wasn't about the money. It represented, honestly, the life energy that I was getting back by being done with that. And I could say that while you might regret putting your extra money into buying a gadget or a device six months from now when it's no longer working or it's collecting dust or you lost the case or you're missing the part or you can't find the charge cable because this is the micro A or the B or whatever it is, you never regret like having paid off extra on your debt. You never regret having put extra towards your freedom fund, which is essentially what you guys were building. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's also, I think that Peter Drucker, and I might have this quote attributed to the wrong person, but I think Peter Drucker said something to the effect, and this is a paraphrase, but what's tracked and measured can be improved. And so that's something that I think that's part of the reason we use Quicken. That's part of the reason we had this chart is sort of watching this stuff and seeing it and visualizing it really made a difference for us. So it, it made us more excited about moving things on this piece of paper forward. It's just weird. So how that uh, motivated us uh, to do the right things. And we were doing it together. I think that helped a lot too. Yeah. yeah, that teamwork is absolutely essential. And we've heard that over and over from couples who have been been on the podcast previously. So I'm curious, it sounds like you guys have cut all the fluff from your life, but in the best possible way. You're exuding happiness. You mentioned before we came on that you guys are up with plans every single night. And, and I'm curious, like how, how this has impacted your life positively outside of just the nuts and bolts of the numbers, how in those kind of intangible ways or even community or things like that, like how has this improved your life? Well, you're going to have to cut me off from talking about <laughs> this topic because I can go deep and for a long time. There are so many incredible things happening in every city. So we travel, we're, we're big travel hackers. P.S. We like to call that award travel enthusiasts, but we're big travel hackers. So we do a lot of traveling and I do, and that might be in America or in the, around the world. And what I see is that there are free fun activities every single place we go. So this isn't just in our area of the, the corner of the world. We have more fun free activities than anywhere else. That's not true. I see it everywhere. But there are so many opportunities to, to have fun for almost nothing. And by the way, so here's like an, an example. We love walking. There's nothing we like probably more than walking in a new place that has cool stuff to look at, whether it's stores, whether it's nature, how cool houses. So that's a free and healthy activity. But to kind of get back to your question, now we can go to the gym whenever. So I love 
fitness classes. I like kickboxing and spinning and dancing. And I like all that. And it's very led, it's very much led by a specific personality of an instructor and the energy in the room. And so some classes are better than other classes. I get to go to whatever class I want because I'm not at work and I get, so not only do I get to be healthy, I get to love how I'm being healthy. So it's not a a chore and a drudgery that I have to go to the gym. I go when I love what I'm doing. So that's, that's a big one. We have more friends over now than we've ever had. When I worked, I didn't have time for home cooked meals so much. And if I did, I had to rely on using some more convenient, more expensive ingredients to make that happen. And they certainly weren't things that I would want to be having other people over to share. So now we don't go out to eat as really, we very rarely go out to eat. It's a real special treat instead of an everyday occurrence. But I do. And so in order to socialize with friends, I have them over all the time. Even people we've only met once, I invite over regularly for dinner. And so we have something that's actually healthier. It's really tasty. It gives us more. We had a couple over who was here for six hours. We'd met them once for like 10 minutes. They've been traveling the world for a year. We invited them for lunch. They stayed through dinner. So things like that. We just have time to, we have time, our family lives uh, around the, the country. We have time to go visit family that we didn't have. Last year, we visited my family three different vacations in three different cities. When I had two weeks of vacation, I couldn't take my two weeks of vacation. I needed my two weeks of vacation to recharge me and I needed to relax. Going and visiting my family wasn't the best two weeks of my vacation. So now, like I said, I got to see all my family in, in the year. Amy has a special knack for finding free, fun things to do. And she also, she's a connector. So she puts us together with people. She puts us together with, so sort of finding our tribe is what we call it. So part of what we do now is we, we seek out, like with your Choose FI community, we met some of your your folks down in, the, in Phoenix at an engagement there. So she does an amazing job at that. That's something that we're hoping in terms of part of the reason we're on your podcast is to share our message and share overall some of the things that she finds. Every day we find things that are fun and free to do. So it sounds like you're telling me that your passion now with like kind of with this mentality of go forth with freedom and prosper, right? Is you are actually traveling intentionally all over the United States and all over the world and finding your tribe in different cities. Is that kind of where you're at and what lights you up these days? That is 100%. So as much as we love the different cultures and different food and maybe even experiencing different weather, That's all wonderful. But our favorite thing when we travel is meeting our tribe, is meeting people. And our tribe might be travel hackers or frugal livers or personal finance bloggers, house sitting. We love house sitters. Oh, house sitters. Okay, let's slow down on that. So this is actually something that we haven't talked about on the podcast. I know it's out there. Tell me a little bit about how house sitting fits into your plans. This is huge. I, I can't even believe our community isn't talking about this more than than very rarely. Tim and I are part of a community of house sitters. They're international. We know many, many, many people who have ditched everything. They maybe keep a couple boxes at their sister's house with their photos and have nothing. Some rent out their house. Some There's all kinds of, of people who do house sitting, but it's it, there's no money in this. This isn't a side hustle. This is a way to travel slower and kind of hack your accommodations. It's often touted as a free vacation, and we wouldn't say that it's a vacation because you are. So what we're doing is we're going to a wonderful place of the world and generally watching someone's pets. They don't pay us. We don't pay them. We're heavily vetted with background checks and references and up the wazoo, and we've done it quite a bit. But this past Christmas time, we spent a week at the beach in San Diego watching two cats and it's chill. Like we're not out for our 16 hour travel, busy, busy days exploring on those kinds of trips, but we're kind of chilling out at home a little bit more. Maybe we're catching up on Netflix binge watching because we are really busy when we're home. So sometimes when we go away, it's just a time to, to relax and, and chill. So this house sitting is a big deal for saving money when you're traveling, if you have the opportunity to travel a little slower. I was thinking that this is actually upgrading the concept of slow travel and giving you a domicile in an area for free and then kind of almost incentivizing you to slow down and explore the area in shorter two to four, maybe six hour stints. Yep, that's exactly right. So house sitting in the slower travel is something we have on our longer term radar. Right now, there's only a few times a year because of uh, because my children are with me part time. And so where we can go away for more than 10 days. So in two years, our plan is to do slower travel for longer periods of time. This summer, we're going to get to go on the, the longest trip we've ever been on together. And it's roughly a month. We're going to go to Europe. 
None of that involves house sitting. So again, this is sort of our longer term plans, um, but we did travel hack most of that trip. So we're not paying for any of the airfare. We're not going to pay for any of the accommodations. A little bit. We're doing an Airbnb. We're doing an Airbnb, but I, I have a way to hack that as well. But nonetheless, uh, this is going to be our longest trip this summer. But long term, we're hoping to be gone for months at a time doing house sitting around the world. And so house sitting is just a good thing to add to your bag of tricks. It's not the only thing we do. Like I said, it's not a side hustle where there's any income at all. And also we've made the most lovely relationships with the homeowners and we fall in love with their pets every single time. We've done more than a dozen. I have a variety of pets around the world who I have completely fallen in love with. You can absolutely house sit my house in October if you want. Uh, we're going to be going to Greece for Chautauqua. And uh, if you guys want to come to Richmond, just take, we'll take you up on it right now. <laughs> You've already pre-booked us. <laughs> well, are you available? <laughs> Never miss an opportunity. Um, no, I, I did. <laughs> but I do see the incentive. But, but actually, what I really wanted to do is just let's talk a little bit about what this looks like. So you're spending $115,000 a year pre this decision. And now you're slowly getting better. And you actually know where your money was going when you were spending $115K. I would be curious, one, how much are you spending now? And where is the difference coming from? Why does it cost you so much less now than it did before? We are now tracking to be under $40,000 of spending this year. We did pay off our home, so we don't have a mortgage payment, but we have an HOA fee in there. So where we're spending money is on travel. So that not only are we spending less than $40,000 a year, we took 10 trips last year that even though we hacked it, we still had to buy food and park at the airport and things like that. So there's still spending in there. And again, we so that includes a lot of fat with all those trips. We tracked we're spending under $250 a month on groceries. We used to well, so we used to spend $6,000 a year just on dining out. Now that it's a special treat, in January we had a little bit of a challenge because we were a bit indulgent for the holidays. We just decided to trim back for our health in January and we spent less than 10 bucks together. The whole family spent less than 10 bucks dining out in January. I don't think I've had that since I had a car when I was 17 years old. I don't think I've ever spent less than $10 on dining out in a month. And we were we were happier for it. So it's not like we were, were sitting at home eating ramen noodles. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. So the dining has cut. The entertainment, we also used to spend about $6,000 a year on entertainment. We used to have season tickets for our local plays that we really liked. We used to go to any concert. So if a, an artist that we wanted came through town, we would go see their concert. We might get the cheapest seats, but we were going to go without even considering it. Now we, we're very thoughtful about where our money goes. And what we've found is that a lot of entertainment sorts of things need volunteers. So they need help. And so we offer our time. So now we see all the theater that we want for, not only do we do it for, for free. So we both volunteer with our theater. Each one of us gets two tickets. So now every time we go, we bring another couple. So not only do we just go to the, we, in the past, we would go to the theater, we'd come home. That was it. Now we go to do our volunteering, meet with other people who are like-minded and want to give back to the arts, which is something that's big for both of us. But now when we attend as guests, we get to bring another couple to share that benefit. So it, it just enhances that experience so much more. Tim, I'm curious, after hearing Amy talk about how intentional you are with your, with your spending and specifically your entertainment spending, can you think of an example of a spending decision that you've made that you've actually determined, hey, this is worth spending money on? And conversely, is there one or two particular items that you can point to that that you used to absolutely love, but in your new, more intentional manner that you've decided, hey, that just isn't worth the money? Um, so something that we love to do in our prior life that we've cut out, and we, we talk about this actually with some frequency, we like fine dining. And so that's currently gone from our, our life, at least mostly gone. So on occasion, we were in Mexico last, uh, last year, year, and, a half year and a half ago. And we ate at the, uh, the, one of the nicest restaurants in Mexico, and it was like $100 a head, which in the context of nicest restaurants around the world, that's nothing. And after that meal, we sort of realized we didn't even really appreciate the nicest restaurant in Mexico all that much. So that's something that we thought we might miss, but we really don't even miss that. So um, something else that Amy, uh, I thought, didn't mention, and we were listening to one of your episodes with Scott Trench. Uh, he had mentioned that 
housing and your cars are probably the biggest expenses in your life. And um, I think that was probably true for us as well. The fact that we sold our big house, we no longer had a big mortgage that moved us down the fast path. And then also we had three cars for the two adults that we had in the, in the house. We got rid of one of our cars. So that was probably a good chunk of our spending was going towards that. And we all obviously did a lot of other things that were uh, ridiculous, but, uh, but those were some of the more ridiculous things that we had to get rid of. So, And I'm going to jump in on something. If there was something that we were really missing, we're not just looking to be frugal for being frugal. We're looking to have the best possible life, no matter what that costs. And we're spending $10,000 less a year than our budget allows, just because that's where we're happiest. So we're not spending up to our budget. And so like, so with the question you had, Brad, is there something you're really missing? No, because if we really missed it, we would add it back in. That's right. I feel like I got my audiogram for this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So you guys, I mean, your enthusiasm comes through, your excitement comes through, and I understand why. I love it. I'm living it myself, and every single day is a little bit more exciting. It almost, it can almost be overwhelming sometimes. It's that much fun, and it's such a light bulb moment. And I guess if we were going to try to get this across, and if we're going to try to communicate this more succinctly, like, what is this, practically speaking, this choice you made not to work one more year, but to have the life you want to live now what does a designed future look like for you going forward? I like to say that I want to walk the world while I still can. So I mentioned that we love walking. Well, I don't want to be walking those cobblestone streets when I'm 80 necessarily. Maybe, hopefully I can, but these are the years to be walking the world. And so I want to take the best health that we're probably going to be in our life and get out there and explore the world. So because we're now eating at home, Tim and I both lost 30 pounds. Tim likes to say it was effortless, <laughs> which kills me because it was a lot of effort for me. But, uh, but Tim, it just, he just says it, well, I'm on the diet of eat what Amy puts in front of me diet. <laughs> Great diet. <laughs> But so he's just trimmed down completely. And so we have a, a hierarchy of our of our priorities. And health was the bottom of that foundation. Tim talks about that was why we really left our careers in the end, because we knew we had very, very stressful careers making the kind of money we were making came with, we were both in sales, different kinds of sales, but it was extraordinarily stressful. Mine came with a uh, very frequent, mine came with a weekly quota in a past career, in a past job. I had a daily quota. Tim had, Tim was on a plane every Tuesday and came back every Friday all over different time zones. And it messed up with his health big time after 10 years of that. So our health wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like we were unhealthy. We weren't in like dying or anything like that, but we knew that these choices we made to go after money wasn't the best for our long-term health. And I believed that the stress and lack and insomnia we both had, I used to take sleeping pills every single night. I think that that was shortening our life. And so we wanted to get out while the getting out was good. So, so and if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so basically if we, if we weren't healthy enough to do the things we wanted to do, what's the point of having a big pile of money in the bank if you can't uh, live the life you intend to lead? And so without our health, uh, we couldn't have done that. So you're retired so, now, or at least you are some form of retired. I mean, what is this, practically speaking, how do you describe your retirement to someone that's meeting you for the first time? That's a good question. As a matter of fact, so Amy is working on that. So I've struggled with the term retirement. I don't really like it. And so Amy's making me come around to liking it. And so I think, <laughs> uh, and the reason I don't like it is because it, it conjures up these images of uh, a life of leisure, being on the beach or playing golf. And certainly that's not what we're doing. And people don't understand, well, why would you want to leave your work to lay on the beach? And so we have a life of purpose. And so Amy's sort of focused on rebranding it. I'll let her talk about what that means. So I love, I love using the word retired. And the reason why is because it causes people to stop and, and say like, what's, what's going on with you that you're retired. You're clearly too young to be what I have in my head as retired. So I love that that gives an opportunity for a conversation and I can take it wherever that person, wherever it makes sense for that person. So many people think this idea of house sitting is completely nuts. So I kind of try to feel someone out. So I don't just have the same reti early retirement pitch for anybody. I kind of try to feel out where they are to understand where might their hot buttons be because this is a message that's worth sharing that you don't have to work forever and you can get whatever you want to out of life. You don't, you don't have to have a retirement that looks like mine or that looks like your grandparents or that looks like anybody's. So what I'm looking to do now is I'm looking to rebrand retirement and have it be whatever you want it to be. Ours is full of fun and adventure and travel 
and loving our life. Yep. Building our tribe, taking care of what we've put in the bank and uh, pursuing our passions. Brad, this is the exact opposite of you. Like me and you are both running away from the word saying, no, no, we don't really want to use that word retirement. We want to talk about how it's optional. We want to talk about how, no, you're going to do something. And Amy's just taking it, like just punching it in the face. Oh. Yeah, lo- <laughs> That's so awesome, Amy. I-, I love that embrace of it because yeah, Jonathan's right. We have very intentionally shied away from that because it- it's so loaded, that word retire. But yeah, I mean, if you're taking hold of it and rebranding it, there's, there's real value there. And I'm curious when, when you're mentioning tailoring that message to different people, what have you found is the, and of course these are, are, are different messages to different people, but what are one or two things that have, have really stuck out to you as, as hitting home with people that, that makes them understand what you're doing with FI or in your, in your terminology, retiring? Well, this is a small one and I don't hear this much and this isn't a big example, but I think it can be the small things. So in two years at my last job, I didn't take off a sick day in two years and in a job that I had earlier than that, I didn't take off a single day in a whole year, not a vacation day, not a sick day, nothing. So one of the small things that I love so much about being retired is that when I don't feel well, I don't have to go to work. I can just recover, take my time. I don't, that is so huge and it's so small at the same time, something as small as that, I think is life impacting. If I'm tired, if I had a bad night of sleep, I don't have to get up at some crazy hour and bust it at work. I can take a nap. I can sleep in. It's those things that enhance my quality of life. So while we're having all the fun adventure, that's great. But I have the time now to cook my own food from scratch. That's healthier and tastier and cheaper. I have time, like I said, to, to be restful. I have time. I have time to relax when I want to relax. It's just the freedom to do what we want to do. I remember having the flu and and being nauseous and just like the fever and the chills and the whole nine yards and going into work, not to work the whole day, but just because I had to be there to get it open long enough for someone in to come in and fill, you know, fill in after me so I could go home. And I was stuck there for like three or four hours. And, you know, as you're describing this mentality of I can just not go in because I feel horrible. I was like, man, that that is really powerful. And you don't realize that pressure to perform, to be present, to do your job to the quality that it needs to be done, it slowly does weigh down on you. And I loved how you describe this feeling of like this low level stress that's slowly eating away at your life energy. And you kind of weighed the equation. And ultimately it was that equation that made you decide to go ahead and retire now. I just love that you're embracing it while the rest of us are running in fear from the word. Yeah, I mean, I was a salesperson, so I had to come at it. I had to be euphoric and high energy. So I didn't just get to come to work and like hide. I had to be performing. I had to be performing. I've come to work coughing up blood on the last day of the year because it was the last day of the year. So where we have all kinds of fun examples of big trips, not everyone cares about traveling. So different examples may or may not resonate with people, but just I can take better care of myself and live happier and healthier and longer that really is what is at the core. So we talked a lot about travel and obviously you guys have this home base here in Colorado, but as I understand it, your daughter is going off to college in a couple of years and, and that opens up opportunities. Do you ever see yourself selling the home in Colorado and traveling full time? I don't think that's in the cards for us. Traveling full time may be in the cards, but we own our current home outright And so we might rent it out or do something like that and be on the road for extended periods of time, but selling it and like getting rid of all the rest of our stuff and, or putting it in storage. I don't think that's in the cards for us. One of the things that we found with house sitting is what we're doing right now is we'll do local house sits because you have to have a base of references to get quality house sits. And so our long-term vision is to be in Europe or Southeast Asia or other places around the world and doing sits for a month, six weeks or whatever. But I don't know that that would necessarily be full time. I think we'll maintain our we home base here. We love Colorado. We love it here. So we yeah. we say that we like coming home as much as we like going on vacation. So we are really pulled equally to stay home. We love our home routine. We're healthier at home. So we don't look to be a full time traveling couple, but to incorporate it as just part of our life. But potentially be gone again for extended periods of time. Like we, a, we one to three months. We don't love the winters here. Uh, we don't love winter periods. So winters here are actually quite mild. But uh, we'd love to be in a warm place um, December through March. Very cool. And and I'm curious, again, just actionable tip-wise. So if someone's looking to do this house-sitting long-term, 
you just mentioned something about like a reputation or I'm not sure if it works like eBay where you have a score or something like that, but how would you recommend someone who's looking to do this house sitting longer term to get into it? Like are, are there ways that they just do this locally on and off and then, then they can build up to getting trips to Europe and things like that. Is that how it works? I would recommend for a new person to join a couple free Facebook groups. I'm actually the moderator of one of them. I'm, I'm very involved in this group, in this community. One of them is called House Sitting Magazine, and it's maybe 3,000 plus people, three to 4,000 people in there currently. They talk about all sorts of things relating to house sitting. So to understand a little bit about it, because it isn't just watching your neighbor's pet in your house. Uh, another group that's gigantic is called House Sitting World. There's spaces between all three of those words. So those are just kind of places to get ideas about what people are talking about. We use a site called trustedhousesitters.com. It's a company out of the UK. It's the biggest matching site in the world. There is an annual fee of roughly 125 US dollars or so. And after that, there's no more money exchanged. So you have a profile kind of similar to a dating site. So you have a profile, people can find you on there and you do rank higher with more reviews with a video, with more photos, with content in your profile. So there's things you could do to rank higher and have house owners reach out to you. However, every single day, twice a day, I get a giant email of like dozens of sits around the world. And a great way to get started though, is through one of those sites to build your reputation through one of those sites. So just kind of doing it randomly doesn't really build your reputation on a site because when strangers are having you watch their, probably their most prized possession of their house and their beloved animals, they want to make sure that you're, it's a little harder to do that, to get your first couple going. So it's nice to establish a reputation on a platform that has reviews. And maybe to, we did that locally with maybe nine or so local Colorado sits. So we could go and meet them in advance, meet their pets, have them see that we're, we're decent people, have them trust us right up front. So that makes it a little bit easier so that when the really popular ones come up, we're, like I said, we, we look pretty good and obviously we're really experienced then. Cool. That is really great info. Thank you so much. And I, I just have one other random question, Tim, this is to you going way back to the beginning of the conversation. We talked about kind of your love language being buying these extravagant gifts and, and big piles of gifts, you know, up to the ceiling essentially. And <laughs> obviously that that's changed significantly, but it's hard to change who you are at your core. And I'm curious, have you found a way to, to replace that in some sense? Do you still give gifts that are maybe more heartfelt as opposed to just spendy and these huge piles? Or have you actually changed your love language, if you will? Uh, I think a, a little of both. I've changed my love language. We still buy things, but the things that we buy are now our experiences versus things. So with our children, instead of piling gifts up to the ceiling, for instance, in a week and a half, we're going to Belize with my daughter. That was her Christmas gift and her birthday gift. And so sort of instead of buying, again, instead of buying gifts, we buy experiences. And so that's where our focus is now. So you have a fascinating story. And I know you had started to document some of your experiences on GoWithLess.com. But my understanding is you guys are about to launch a YouTube channel. Uh, have you actually started that yet? We just started putting some content up on the YouTube channel. And ultimately, the content will also be on our blog. So what we're, our plan is to have a daily post on YouTube, a short video every day that just talks about the things that we do that make our life work. And so hoping to add some value in, in terms of all these free things that Amy finds and, and share that with the world. And so what we hope to do is add that to our blog in some sort of consolidated fashion. So we'd have a week's worth of post or for instance, we're working on something right now that has to do with saving money with grocery shopping. So we'll turn that into a post on our blog. So we'll still have content on the blog, but it's probably going to be mostly around uh, condensing what we've done on YouTube. What we realized is that every single day we had a post of our, our life that should be written and we didn't have time to sit down and write a post. So we never got to communicate some of these concepts. So we had a video and everything ready for the house that we did in San Diego and we didn't sit down long enough to write that article. So now we're looking at YouTube as just a way to communicate five, six minutes a day. Here are the cool things we're doing. Here's how we save money in our life that may be a little unique. And so we're trying to communicate that as efficiently as possible so that it just doesn't sit in our, get stuck in our heads without the time to write it. So I know your website is at gowithless.com. What's the best way for someone to find your YouTube channel? 
It's actually also GoWithLess.com, and our website has all the social media buttons at the top. So we do Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On YouTube, you can find us at Go With Less. There's no spaces there. On Facebook and Twitter as well is Go With Less, no spaces. And on Instagram, we are We Go With Less. Awesome. Yeah, I had to change my Instagram as well. So we are Choose FI Radio on Instagram. So <laughs> Yeah, we couldn't get our name on Somebody Instagram. Somebody stole our, Somebody has our it. branding. Ah, oh, <laughs> son of a gun. Oh, no worries. All right, guys. Well, normally that would be the end of the episode. But on this show, we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? We are. All right. The music makes me nervous. (laughs) In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right. I'll start with Tim. Question number one, your favorite blog that's not your own. I really like Seth Godin. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a motivational speaker, talks about change. He's my favorite. Yeah, absolutely. I get his updates every single day. I think he publishes literally seven days a week, right? I believe so. Amy, same question. Favorite blog that's not your own. I'm going cliche with the Mr. Money Mustache. I got to do it. So I love his style. He's hilarious. Everything he writes, I, I, not everything, but I resonate with most of what he writes and the style in which he writes it makes me laugh. All right. Now, do you have a favorite article of all time? Amy, this can be one that you wrote or somebody else's. I'm going to take it from Mr. Money Mustache. So he wrote an article about people driving huge trucks like a F-150 or something that has a lot of space up front and in the back for people who don't even really need a truck and kind of what a waste that was. Every So he had a sentence that said, unless you're driving around heads of state and cattle at the same time, you don't need this automobile. And it's not that we're even considering driving a truck, but that really resonated with me because it goes across our whole life. Our old house used to be the F-150 of a house. We had a 6,000 square foot house with rooms we didn't enter for up to like over a year. We didn't even enter some of these rooms. That was the F-150 of this housing example. So now scale down to a house where we use every single inch every single day and it's very practical and affordable. So I think we've looked to take that example from the blog into our whole life and it just, so it resonated. And every time I see a big truck, I think of that post. Tim, what about you? Yep. So I'm going to go with the mad scientist. I don't know the specific post I was actually looking today earlier. And I think it's called retire even earlier without earning more or spending less. And so the reason for that is I believe this was the article. Remember I mentioned earlier that I was up till five o'clock in the morning working our numbers. I think this was one of the articles that sort of pushed me down that path. Amy and I actually met Brandon and Jill uh, a couple of years ago in Mexico. So uh, here's, here's my shout out to Brandon. So, All right. Noted. Uh, question number three, Tim, your favorite life hack. It's got to be travel hacking. And so I think that that is just, uh, it's a, it's a big hack. So it's not just one specific thing, but just travel hacking at all. So we travel the world and we spend less than $10,000 a year. So if it weren't for the travel hacking that we do, and, and that would include the house sitting, then uh, we wouldn't be able to travel uh, as much as we do. And Amy? I'm going to have to agree. So I wanted to have different answers than Tim, but travel hacking is so monumental in our life that I'm going to have to answer that as well. All right, Amy, question number four, your biggest financial mistake. We bought a new house together and we, we built the new house actually. And the biggest mistake was we didn't know what we didn't know. So we needed to buy a yard. We needed to buy a fence because we had a dog. We needed to buy all the appliances. And for a 6,000 square foot house, we had to buy blinds for gigantic windows. These were huge, huge expenses. And every single time we wanted to do any kind of home improvement and had someone come to the house to give a bid, it started at $20,000 no matter what it was. So buying slash building a brand new house without all those other things included is my biggest mistake. And Tim, what about you? Yeah, I'd say it's falling prey to lifestyle inflation. So if we had have found this five movement a decade ago or 15 years ago, I think we would have been retired 10 years sooner. And so uh, if I could have avoided that, um, it would have made a huge difference in my life. Well, let's follow up on that. Uh, Question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. Tim, you go first. 
Yeah, for me, it'd be live in the moment. So I think I'm always looking forward. And this is probably advice I I don't know that I would listen to if you told it to me earlier because I don't listen to it too well today. But figure out some way to be present. I think that's deep and much more far reaching than we could possibly touch on in this particular conversation. But it's something that I constantly struggle with. Amy, same question. Advice you would give your younger self. I am a natural worrier. So what I would tell my younger self is try not to worry. It'll all work out. Just enjoy the ride. That's very cool. I love both of those answers. So thank you very much. And and we do have one last little bonus question here. So we talk a lot in the FI community about cutting expenses, right? That's what we spent a good portion of this interview talking about. But there are those times where we make purchases that that really add value to our lives. And I'm curious if you can touch on one particular purchase in the last 12 months or so that's really added value to your life. Okay, I'll get started. So I bought it on Amazon. I've been wearing the same brand and style of sneakers for about 16 or 17 years. And every year I get a new a new pair. The new line never, ever, ever, ever is on sale. However, when the brand new line comes out and that one gets bumped down, they're on sale. They are third off on Amazon. So I wait and I have kind of a, I have a really narrow foot. So I have a funny shoe size. So I got to get it really quickly when they go on sale. But I go and buy a new pair of sneakers of last year's model every January on Amazon. Yeah. And for me, I guess it'd be an Amazon purchase as well. So I spent $7 on a slim wallet why it adds value to my life. I just, I used to have this grandpa wallet, you know, where it's about four inches thick. And so this new slim wallet just really brings me joy. So <laughs> my shout out to my wallet. <laughs> if you want to share the links, just send them our way. We'll put them in the show notes. Will do. This has been so much fun. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you We're big fans us. of the show. Fun. I do want to give a big shout out for the Choose FI local groups, not only for your own local group, but when we were traveling to the Phoenix area last month, I joined the Facebook community in Phoenix and asked if anybody would like to meet in our hotel lobby. Nine strangers came and we had a fabulous time. It was one of the highlights of our trip. So you don't just need to look at the Choose FI local groups in your community. Go look for them wherever you may be traveling. There are good people out there. And by the way, FI people love to meet FI people. Oh, you're so right. Because it just feels like it can feel so isolating. And you realize, wow, there's actually a bunch of other people just like me that are trying to find more of me. It's amazing. That's exactly <laughs> right. And they love talking about their journey and their their lessons and, and where they've been and where they're going. And it's a very social, exciting group. Inclusive. Yeah, it's wonderful. So go seek out those Choose FI people around the world. They're good people. You guys rock. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. And for those of you that are hearing this and are wondering, you know, what, how do I find one of these local groups? Just go to choosefi.com slash local. There's over 140 local groups all around the world. And it really does come down to this idea of finding a community in your local area that is trying to optimize, frankly, the city, the zip code, the region, the state, the country. There are opportunities all around the world for you to find a group of like-minded individuals. Brad, this was a fun, lighthearted episode that looks directly at what are people doing when they actually decide to retire. And in this case, we're not running away from the word retire. We're embracing it because she is rebranding this thing. What does it look like when someone just starts with, I am retiring to a life that I can get excited about and this is what I'm doing and everybody should be working towards this. Yeah, I agree completely. And and that is unusual, right? Because we kind of run away from retirement as a phrase, but Amy and Tim are certainly embracing that wholeheartedly. And really, this was a great look at how do I approach Phi from a standing start in my 40s? And, you know, we didn't really touch on that too much overtly, but that's really what happened. And obviously, like we mentioned, they had a high income, but still they found Phi and jumped into it with both feet or four feet in this in this instance, and they reached Phi in just a few short years. And now for many people, that might be a few extra years if they weren't making quite as much money, but, but still the concepts are very strong and they hold true across the entire spectrum. So yeah, this was a great look at how do you stop just the mindless spending? How do you focus on what's important in life and what brings you happiness? So yeah, a huge thanks to Amy and Tim for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. All right, guys, I hope you got value from this episode. I hope you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point. 
take one second, just press the subscribe button on the platform that you're listening to this on. It just lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional episodes. If you want to support us and what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. If you want to do that, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to chooseify.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of FI, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free. And just go to choosefi.com slash PC. P as in Paul, C as in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 38, The Why of FI. And right behind that, have them go listen to episode 21, The Pillars of FI. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.